John 15, 18. If the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. However, because you were not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. The one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. When the counselor comes, the one I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. You also will testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have told you these things to keep you from stumbling. They will ban you from the synagogues. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering service to God. They will do these things because they haven't known the Father or me. But I have told you these things so that when their time comes, you will remember I told them to you. I didn't tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going away to him who sent me, and not one of you asks me, where are you going? Yet because I have spoken these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. About sin, because they do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father and you will no longer see me. And about judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Everything the Father has is mine. This is why I told you that he takes from what is mine and will declare it to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Bryce. Now that's how you respond in the, in the, when you're asked that question. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God? From now on, I think I need to go, yes! And do you want to accept him as your, yes! I sure do. Uh, that's somebody who loves Jesus, and that love for Jesus, if it's lived out well, could get those young ladies in trouble. That young man that boldly professed uh, an allegiance to who Jesus Christ is. As he lives that out, and I believe, I trust, that under the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within those three, that as they remain in Jesus, Jesus has promised that he will remain in them, and it, it's going to get complicated for them. Not, not just complicated, it's going to get difficult, which is sometimes hard to hear, because didn't that look cute? I mean, anybody else want to get into the baptistry this morning? There's a lot of people in the baptistry. It just looks so... I mean this in like a really respectful, nice way. That looks so sweet. It just looks so loving. It looks so like pure and, and good. Like who would hate that? Who would have a problem with that? 
Like, it doesn't make any sense. And that's why when you're coming out of John 14 and John 15 and you just hear this, love, 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 you should love one another and care for one another. You really need to love one another and love one another. There's all this love language. Actually, that's how we ended last week. Do you have your Bibles? Take a look. John chapter 15, verse 17. Jesus tells them about how much he is going to be with them and guide them and care for them and And then he actually says, and this is what I command you, love one another. We kind of end it there. Yeah, we should. We really need to love one another. And then you and I, you know, go through our week. And then we pick it up at verse 18. If the world hates you, there's a lot that's happening between those two verses. This is the command that I give you, love one another. Yeah, we really should be more loving. And maybe if we were more loving, and Jesus says this, if we were more loving, then the world would know that we are his. And, and maybe if they see our love, if they see, um, if they see how much we care about one another, if they see that all of our motives are good, that all we want to do is help people, all we want to really do is love on people and care for them, if they see that, they're going to respond with what? <laughs> I wish. <laughs> She said what all of us were thinking. She said, love. No. I just love stuff like this. (laughs) It isn't, is it? It's not. We're gonna love and love and care and the response is what? If the world hates you, why does it have to get that way? And the answer, it appears to be from Jesus, is because It is that way. He asks this question. If the world hates you, it's a good question. If the world hates you, one of the ways in which it's really being asked is is, is just trying to point out to them that this is what is most likely going to happen. We we have to answer this question, who is the world here? Because this text is not a text, actually, that's describing this adversarial relationship that the followers of God are always in with everyone in the world. I think sometimes the church has, because there are difficult circumstances, and there are enemies, and there are those who are trying to undo our work, trying to undo our mission. Because that does exist, it's almost like the church is in this adversarial fist up, let's do this kind of a response, But specifically, what Jesus is describing here and what John is describing here is very specifically adversarial. Jesus, the Son of God, is walking the earth. And those who are hearing Jesus, the Son of God, the vast majority of them are responding not by wanting to follow him. They're rejecting him. They're fighting against him. And and the word world appears a number of times in John's gospel. We're going to actually end with a text that talks about the world, but The world doesn't always just mean everybody in the world. This isn't a text that says, yeah, you know, it's us against them. No, this is describing very specifically the people in Jesus' life that are opposing him. And therefore, they will also oppose his followers. That's the world there. It's not everybody on the planet. It's not even everybody who doesn't follow Jesus. He's literally describing those Specific individuals in Jesus' day, we can project it onto our own, 
who are at odds with God, who not only don't want to follow him, but are deeply bothered by who he is. And interestingly enough, it's usually played out against those people who so want to act like God that their, 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 their very presence in their lives makes it uncomfortable to the point where there really is, there really is some anger and there really is some hatred. Why are you so angry? Why do you hate so much? The vast majority of Christians who this year will die for their faith, it's not because they've done anything wrong, it's literally because of who they are, it's because of who they love. It is their devotion and their love to Jesus Christ and their willingness to die in the midst of fierce, relentless opposition. And Jesus asks the question, if the world hates you, maybe you need to ask that question, if the world hates you, because we will do what is necessary to avoid being hated. Maybe it's a good question. Maybe he's not just describing there's going to be problems. Not maybe. Jesus knows that you and I, in the midst of opposition and in the midst of difficulties, are going to face temptation to soften what we say, to even change what we think in order to not be hated. People who think they know me describe me as somebody that, yeah, he's gonna say what he thinks and I don't even know how much he really cares about what other people think. They have no idea who I am. They don't get it. They don't know, I mean, hopefully I'm a person of principle that will speak the truth in the midst of difficulties, but yeah, you should have seen me in junior high, high school, college. Hopefully I've matured and I've grown and I'm, I've been willing to, to, to make a stand and to continue to make a stand for the things of God, not just the things of Jim. But I'm still recovering from this, this, this relentless need to be liked. One thing about me is I like to be liked and I love to be loved. And, and so what do, I, what do I say or not say? What do I do or not do to just relieve the tension that exists right now in our relationship? Is that you? Is that you in your world? Willing to adapt, willing to modify, willing to make changes? After all, the one thing I don't want to be known as, I don't want to be known as a radical. I don't want to be known as somebody that's just kind of way out there, that's, that's somehow so devoted that they're not able to listen or think straight. I mean, literally, the majority of us are moderates for a reason. It's to relieve the tension or to relieve the stress. The question Jesus asks is a good question. If the world hates you, he even says to his disciples, I'm giving you this warning so that you don't stumble. That's what he says in the text. So that you don't stumble. The word there is, you, you would recognize it in the Greek. It, it literally is scandalots. It's to be scandalized. It's to, be, to stumble over, to trip or to fall or to, to change your path. Jesus says, I'm giving you this warning now so that you won't stumble and fall. Jesus is aware of the temptation that all of his followers are gonna face in a world that is going to oppose them. 
Jesus' brother, James, says it this way. James chapter four, verse four, is a great text. It's one of those ones that you kind of underline because it really does point out rather clearly that there are sides that we need to be aware of and there is a side that we need to choose. What you actually saw in the baptistry were three young people making a stand. It's just easy to do it here where we're all rooting for them. Woo! Remember that? Not everyone's rooting for them. So James says this, James 4, 4. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. We have to hold on to that. That's part of the biblical story about what God's people are like in a world that opposes God, that wants nothing to do with God. Again, I don't know if it's all of the world. No, I would even argue that the majority of the world are just kind of passively sitting going, I don't know if I want to choose sides on this. By not choosing a side, they're choosing a side. But what James is pointing out is what his brother Jesus pointed out very clearly. Is that as we align ourselves with him and as we are devoted to his teachings and the more devoted we become and the more that we look like him, just don't be surprised that the way that you love and the people that you love and then therefore the words that you say are going to cause a a rift, are going to cause a problem. Again, there's, there's a kind of love in which the world really likes to celebrate. It's this mutual admiration society. Um, I'll pat you on the back, you pat me on the back. I compliment you, you compliment me. It, it's a little bit of this, I'm okay, you're okay mentality. And as long as we just keep doing that, keep affirming one another and supporting one another and, and just being excited about one another, then as long as that's what love is, then we should be fine. But what if we're not okay? What if we're going to be honest about our brokenness? What if we're going to be honest about the sin that exists in our lives? What if we're being like really honest about our need? About people's need for a savior? Yeah, that's where it gets that's where it gets complicated. That's where it gets that's where it gets difficult and messy. And, and that is why the Bible speaks about that we speak this truth to one another in love. That the loving way in which we speak to another is deeply grounded in the truth. And Jesus says, yeah, the the, the kind of love that will, will make you a friend with the world is really not love. But the kind of love which is following my teaching and and becoming deeply embedded in the way of life that I have for them, this way of life that that guides and directs them, that that kind of love when it really does speak the truth is going to be met with strong resistance to the point when you will find that you are now an enemy of the world. To be a friend of the world, the way of the world, is to be an enemy of God. Now what's interesting is is that what we're about to find out is that to be an enemy of God doesn't mean that he actually has then given up on you. We'll unpack that in a moment. Jesus then says, if the world hates you, the second statement he actually makes is I just want you to know it hated me first. 
It, it hated me first. And by the way, what that doesn't mean is that of all the people that the world hated, the first one they hated was Jesus. That's not what he's saying. No, no, Jesus, actually, the, the one, Jesus, the God-man that we celebrate at Christmas, he doesn't come about for a long time. But what he's pointing out to these disciples is, is that as you have followed me and it has created tension in your life, I want you to realize that the reason why the world hates you or the reason why the world stands opposed to you is because of your alignment, your association with me, and I need you to be aware of that. It, it hated me first. But Jesus would also point out that the world is constantly opposed the way of God. It's, it's not even beginning with Jesus. One of Jesus' followers in the book of Acts is, is gonna draw this, this, this really interesting point uh, to the attention of those people who are really angry with him. His name is Stephen. Turn to Acts chapter seven. His name is Stephen, and you wanna know what he was involved in doing that made him kind of at odds? Well, he was involved in trying to care for the widows and making sure that they had food. He was literally somebody that was caring for the needs of the community. Now, they wouldn't have minded it if he just did that. But then in his part time, I guess he would talk about Jesus. See, they don't, they don't mind if we build houses. The, the world, the, those who are opposing God, they don't mind if we do our acts of service but keep our mouths shut. But the Bible actually teaches that as we are living our lives, we are also sharing the truth about who God is, and that's what gets Stephen into trouble. And what Stephen does is he points out that the difficulty that Jesus faced or the difficulty that the church is right now facing with these people, these are the specific ones that Jesus is warning against. This is the world that is hating his followers, his disciples, he points out, this is, what, this is what the world did to Joseph, and this is what the world did to Moses, and there's this long list of, 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 of prophets and messengers of God that just find themselves at odds with the world. Here's how he ends his sermon. Verse 51. You stiff-necked people, with uncircumcised hearts and ears, which basically means you kind of go through the motions, you, you think that you are religious or you think that you're good people, but in the end you are not listening to, seeing, or responding to God. You are always resisting the Holy Spirit. As your ancestors did, you do also. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They even killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You received the law under the direction of angels, and yet you have not kept it. They lose their minds, the audience that is hearing this message. How dare you say that all we've done is oppose God's messengers? How dare you say that we have murdered the righteous one and to show you that we are so not the people that you think we are, we're gonna kill you. I mean, literally, they take him out and they kill him because he's so wrong about us. We're going to kill you. It is so reminiscent. One of my favorite stories in, in Jesus' ministry is right near the end of his life, he tells a story. Those people who are angry at him, who want to kill him, he says, can I tell you a story? There's a, there's a, 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 a landowner who owns a vineyard. 
And it was right that every time that the crop came up that he should deserve the, the, the produce, the, the fruit from this. And so he would send people to collect what was rightfully his. And these people who, who were working in the vineyard, it wasn't even their vineyard, they would actually kill the servants. Finally, this landowner said, I'm going to send my son. At least they'll respect him. And, and they see the son coming and they take the son and they kill him. And they think, we will own the vineyard ourselves. And Jesus asks them, the ones who are plotting to kill Jesus. Jesus says, what do you think is going to happen when the landowner comes in that story? When the landowner decides, I'm going to come and I'm going to deal with these people who have killed my messengers and then murdered my son. And by the way, they're very, very clear. They, they know that Jesus is claiming to be the son of God. This isn't a complicated, they literally say, Matthew records, um, when the landowner comes, he will take those, they use the word wretches, they will, they will take those wretches and they will bring them to a wretched end. They're speaking about themselves. And Jesus basically says, you're, you're correct. And then they plot to kill him. How do you see so clearly your brokenness and yet respond with more brokenness? Yeah, I don't know. I really don't. I don't think the Bible gives us even an answer to this. What it actually describes is a, a misunderstanding that is so deep. I, I want to show you something, and I hope it doesn't throw you for a loop, but it's from the book of Revelation. I want you to turn to the book of Revelation, and I don't want to get into, so when did this happen? Okay, I, I, It is describing God's judgment as they are being poured out. Okay, Acts, or, uh, Revelation 16 we're going to be looking at a few verses. When God's judgments are, are given, and you could go back and even talk about it with Pharaoh, as God's judgments are given, it is to bring humility, it is to bring repentance, it is to kind of shock the system to say something is wrong and something is broken. But interestingly enough, with people who are filled with hatred, who don't want to hear the truth, who... Oh yeah? And they double down and to prove that Stephen's wrong, they kill him. Even though they understand the meaning of the parable and they understand what Jesus is saying, what do they do? They state exactly what is going to happen and then they plan to kill him. It is a blindness that for those who can see is astounding. In Revelation 16, beginning in verse 8, the fourth, that would be the fourth angel. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. This is God's wrath being poured out. And it was allowed to scorch people with fire, and people were scorched with intense heat. And so what did they do in the midst of God's judgment? They blasphemed the name of God, who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. In the midst of an opportunity to be humbled, in the midst of an opportunity to receive mercy and grace. Nope, they doubled down. And they said, I'm not, I'm not giving in. Actually, I'm now more angry than I have ever been. And the fifth, that would be the fifth angel, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and the kingdom was plunged into darkness. And then people gnawed their tongues because of their pain, but they didn't gnaw on their tongues so badly, they still had the ability to speak. And what did they say? Did they repent? 
No. They gnawed their tongues because of their pain and they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, but they did not repent of their works. We actually see this repeatedly in scripture. When God comes and offers mercy and grace, there are some that accept it and there are some that, who are you to tell me? And then as God continues to persist, sometimes with Pharaoh, sometimes with his own people, who are you to tell me? There is a brokenness that exists in humanity that just keeps doubling down and doubling down and, and sometimes the most loving or even the complicated loving gestures of God are just met with anger and hatred I mean, I do, I, I kind of scratch my head. Good. I get it, don't get it. And Jesus says, they hated me first. I want you to know that we stand in a long line. You, the disciples, are going to stand in a long line, and I want you to be aware of this so that when the day of temptation comes, that you will, like in earlier in chapter 15, you will remain in me and I will remain in you. And we will remain on purpose in this world. We are not going to be led astray. We are not going to abandon the truth. We're not going to abandon the plan of God. Instead, you and I are going to remain focused on who God is and what God is about. Now, I don't know if there is like a, a verse for the world. I don't know if they have a Bible or not. I've thought a lot about this phrase that just keeps coming up in my mind as we've been going through the Gospel of John, John 3.16. It's kind of almost like this wonderful verse that just reverberates throughout the Gospel. I don't know if the world has a John 3.16, but if they did, I think it would go something like this. The world hated God in this way. It refused to accept his one and only Son, and believe in him. It chose instead to perish and to not find eternal life. That would be the world's not John 3, 16. Literally, that the world hated God, how? By refusing to accept his one and only son and believe in him, and instead to perish and to not have eternal life. And the more that we spoke about that as his followers, the more Jesus spoke about that, the more angry they would become, the more hatred they would feel. And what I find so interesting and life-giving is that as the world is doing this, God continues to love the world through Jesus. This is the world that Jesus entered into. This is the world that has walked away from God repeatedly, and yet God consistently pursues. God consistently loves and cares for, and that's why the New Testament writers will say rather bold and shocking statements that God demonstrated his love for the world like this, that while it was still sinning, while it was still sinners, while you and I were still sinners, Jesus died for us. He didn't die because we were beautiful or because we even were his friends. No, the Bible makes it very clear. 
this is why. I know when he's talking to his disciples, there's a bit of a us and a them. There's us, those who are followers of Jesus, and there are them, those who are opposing Jesus. But just take a step back, and Jesus made it very, very clear, just like his father made it very, very clear. You all have opposed me. You all have gone against me. I was the one that chose you. I was the one that called you out. If it wasn't for my grace and if it wasn't for my love, you wouldn't even be here right now. The Apostle Paul says it so well in Ephesians 2. He doesn't describe the church as this select group of people who just figured it out and are better than everybody else. No, he draws very careful attention to this. That all of us, were once dead in our sins. That every single one of us were by our own nature and by our own design, we were objects of God's wrath. But, sounds like John three sixteen. but because of God's great love for us, who is great in mercy, exceeding in love, we have been made alive in Christ. So this text makes it very, very clear. The world's gonna hate you, and I want you to know that it hated me first. And we're not gonna hate it back. We're not gonna double down like they double down. We're going to respond not like the world but we're going to respond like Jesus is going to respond. That's why I think this whole night begins with Jesus washing their feet. Follow my example. You mean the washing of the feet? Yeah, just keep looking at me because there's lots of examples I'm gonna show you tonight. I'm gonna pray in a way and I want you to follow my example. That's chapter 17. I'm gonna act in a way as I am being hated and, and the, the early believers so wanted to emulate how Jesus responded on the night that he was betrayed. I mean, the world, his world really hated him. And it really mistreated him. And John and James and Peter and the rest of the disciples are watching Jesus. And they're learning there's another way to respond to hatred. There's another way to respond to blasphemy. There's, a, there's another way to respond. And that way to respond, actually, interestingly enough, is the way of God. Now, now hear me. Jesus is going to make it very clear. Judgment is still coming. God is going to take care of it all. And until he does, it is our responsibility our profound responsibility to respond as Jesus responded. The world can hate God all it wants. The world can oppose his followers all they want. Because God loved the world in this way. Do you know this verse? That he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him would not perish but they would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Did you hear me? God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. 
but to save the world through him. Church, we need to hear that truth. The God who is the righteous judge will judge righteously. And before he does, he sent his son into the world because he loved the world. And he loved the world, all of it. That I get. And then he loved the part of the world that hated him. And he demonstrated his love by giving to the very end. And anyone who believes in him, verse 18, is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. That is the hope of the gospel that you and I have, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you and I have embraced, and that is our mission, to follow the mission of God into the world in midst of opposition. And that as we become more like Jesus Christ, what I believe we will experience is greater hatred from the world, to varying degrees, based upon times and places and circumstances that are completely outside of our control. But they are not outside of his. And therefore, you and I have an opportunity in the times and in the places in which we live today, here, to respond like Jesus to a world to varying degrees and in different circumstances is indifferent will oppose or even hate those who love Jesus. But what we cannot do, what we have no permission to do, is to respond like the world. And you know how I know that? Because Jesus makes it very, very clear that what is going to guide us all through this time, this time of opposition, this time of profound hatred and animosity, is his spirit that he is going to give us. He's going to give us his spirit, which means this. You know what I don't need the spirit in order to do? Um, I don't need the spirit to live like a coward. I don't, I don't need the spirit of God to, to, to basically take my life and to conform it into the world so that I no longer am hated, but I'm just one of them. I don't need the spirit. In fact, the spirit will get in the way of that. The spirit will convict me that I'm just a sellout, that I'm not being faithful to the words or to the truth or to the way of God. But when I have the spirit, the spirit will keep me inside the plans and the purposes and the way of God. I also don't need the spirit if I am going to respond with the same kind of hatred and the same kind of venom and the same kind of, oh yeah, well you're gonna say this about me, well then I'm gonna say that about you. And, and, and truly, I've, I've seen, it's, it's a historical problem for people to just, we're going to give you exactly what you give us. I don't need the spirit for that. Actually, the spirit gets in the way of us living like that. It convicts us that something is wrong or something is broken. I mean, you just can't speak like that or act like that or even pray like that 
If you're following Jesus, who says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and turn the other cheek and walk a second mile. No, the Spirit will get in the way of those things, but what the Spirit will do is to teach us the way of Christ, to give us the words to say in the midst of difficulties, the words of truth, and to strengthen us and sustain us all the way through the journey. If the world hates us, remember, it hated Jesus first. But God has loved the world with Jesus. And we love Jesus by continuing his mission. As he lived. I pray that as a church, I pray that as individuals and collectively that we take these words to heart. That we are aware that what the Spirit is going to do, Jesus makes this comment here, what the Spirit is going to do, the Spirit is going to convict the world of sin and righteousness and the judgment to come. Sometimes I read that and I think, well, I don't think the world's very convicted because they seem to still really do it. The word convict there doesn't mean convict and, oh, I feel bad and I'm going to change. No, a a better word, I'll, I'll take it up with the translators later, but a better word than convict would actually be more of the word expose. It's often translated in the, in the New Testament to expose. And you know what happens when people who are caught doing something wrong, when it gets exposed, not everybody apologizes. Some people get really mad, how dare you expose. But both, here's what we need to remember, it is not our job to expose, or it's not our job to convict. That's the Spirit's work. It is our responsibility to act and continue to act in the words of Christ, in the spirit of Christ, for the glory of God. Jesus says in verse 26 of our text, when the counselor comes, the one I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me and he will do that through us as we remain faithful to his mission. As we conclude, I don't think it is probably best that what we do is sit and reflect and kind of make a determination. I mean, a determination is not wrong, but what seems more appropriate from this particular text is that we pray. That we spend some time in prayer. God, give us an awareness of what you've promised. God, give us an awareness of the spirit that is in us. And so in response to this word this morning, let us pray. God, we thank you for what you have done and who you have done it through, Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And God, I thank you for the way in which he has lived and has modeled what it means to be your anointed one. God, I thank you for the invitation that he has given to us, and I pray that we would stand strong in the face of opposition and hatred. God, give us strength. God, thank you for giving us strength through the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that we would be aware of the brokenness in the world and yet not be poisoned by it. God, I pray that we would be aware of the brokenness of the world and not be tempted to just go along with it. Father, may your Spirit lead us 
into words of truth and and, and into a, a relationship with you so that we truly can be ambassadors for Jesus, our savior, our model, our example, our guide. And so Father, we thank you for your love for us. I pray that we would realize that while we were sinners, while we were dead, you demonstrated your love. God, may we appeal, beg and plead for others to know your goodness and your love. Father, may we preach the whole story of John 3. How you have loved the world and that you did not send your son into the world to condemn it but to save it. God, may they see and hear in us the truth of your plan and purpose through Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask all of this for your glory. And God's people said, amen.